Oh man, it's a bittersweet episode for me. Welcome into the Hops and Spirits podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Green. And why is it bittersweet? It's our last Whiskey Weeks 2020 episode, and we wrap things up with Ryan Lang, one of the co-founders of Middle West Spirits out of Columbus, Ohio. Remember, you can catch all of our episodes from Whiskey Weeks and any of our past episodes. Uh, just find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Hop Spirits. You can get the link to where our podcast is available. It's pretty much everywhere. We've talked to George Dickles, Nicole Austin. We had Barrelcraft Spirits, Trip Stimson, Tim Pearson of Chattanooga Whiskey, and the guys from Starlight Distillery out in Indiana on. It was a great time. And remember, Whiskey Weeks 2020 is presented by none other than Obergatlinburg. Come discover all the wonderful things that Obergatlinburg Ski Area and Amusement Park has to offer. Experience breathtaking views as you ride the aerial tramway from downtown Gatlinburg to the mountaintop to play, shop, and dine. Summer tubing, wildlife encounter, coaster, ice bumper cars, alpine slide, chairlift, year-round ice skating, and much more equals fun for everyone. During the winter months, enjoy snow tubing, skiing, or snowboarding, or play in the cubby snow zone with your little ones. Fun festivals round out the calendar with Mayfest in the spring and Oktoberfest each fall. A mountaintop of fun and excitement high above Gatlinburg is waiting for you at Obergatlinburg Ski Area and Amusement Park. I want to thank Obergatlinburg because they gave us our giveaway for Whiskey Weeks. Our winners will be announced on our Instagram page uh, Friday morning. So stay tuned for that. Friday morning, our, our winners will be announced. We want to make sure we get uh, their information before sharing that. But let's not waste any time. And before we talk to Ryan Lang, I want to welcome in D Brown, better known as the VA Bourbon Hunter. Uh, he does some really cool things on Instagram. Like I said, uh, VA Bourbon Hunter is where you can find him. D, thanks for taking some time to talk whiskeys and bourbons with us. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for reaching out on uh, Instagram and jumping to my DMs. And uh, I'm glad to be here. Now, how did you become the VA Bourbon Hunter? Like, was that just some something that happened recently, or or how how did that come about? Yeah, I, I um I'm one of those uh, COVID Bourbon Instagram guys, you know. So I've uh, I've I've always I've been into you know whiskeys and bourbons for for a little while now. I'd say for the better part of a, a couple of years, but um, ne- never anything too crazy. You know, my collection usually spanned with like you know make maybe five to sometimes 10 bottles, but nothing, nothing too insane. And, you know, I began this year talking to a buddy to say, you know, like one day I, I, I want to be able to have a bar at my house so that when we have guests over, they don't have to worry about BYOB. They don't have to worry about bringing anything, you know, just, you know, bring yourself and, you know, we'll have fun. So I've always just been like kind of the, uh, I'm the, I'm the, the, the party starter of the group, you know, the party always <laughs> happened at my house, like always. So, uh, so that combined with, you know, COVID and, and you know, it just kind of sparked something. I, I don't even know how it happened. I, uh, I just I, I came across some, some bourbon Instagram pages when I had my, my regular page. And, you know, after about a month or so, I was just like, maybe I should start, you know, an Instagram, you know, and just have my collection because I, I found myself kind of blowing up my uh, my regular friends timelines with a, just a bunch of bourbon crap you know so i was like maybe i should have something a little bit separate just so that you know the people uh that actually like you know <laughs> liquor as much as i do 
that don't think that I'm an alcoholic would actually appreciate. So <laughs> here I am. I, I to, totally understand that. Totally understand that. I, with the podcast and stuff, I, I launched it obviously uh, during during you know the COVID times, and I was like, you know what? I probably shouldn't be put, posting this much beer and liquor. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it may, it may not uh, look look so good, to, especially to maybe my mom. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, no, I to- totally get that. Now, I'm guessing your bar is a little more than five to, to ten bottles, or are you still keeping it in that that sweet spot? Whew, no, definitely more than five to ten <laughs> bottles these days. <laughs> it's expanded tremendously. I don't know. I probably have. It's not too. I say not too crazy because I'm just basing off of you know, some of the, the bars that I see on Instagram, but I would probably say it's somewhere around 50 to 60 bottles now. And, and have you opened up at least half of those? Oh yeah, definitely. I think I, I have maybe 10, probably 10 unopens. I'm looking at my bar cart now. So probably 10 unopens, but three, four, five of those are as backups. So Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Just in case you, you, you have a man down, you, you, you need something there, right? Oh yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm very, um, yeah, I, I don't even call myself a whiskey collector. You know, I, I, I pretty, I open everything, you know, I just, the, the longest I've kept something was, uh, the happy old Rip Van Winkle. I got that, you know, maybe six months ago and that was for the wedding and I opened it up on the wedding day and, and we drank it all. So I, I'm I'm more of just a uh, kind of sewer than a collector, I would say. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm the same way, you know. Obviously, I, I I can get a few with with the podcast. I've been fortunate enough to get some good ones, but mm-hmm. uh, to me, I don't understand holding on to things for too too long because if you get it, you probably want to enjoy it, right? Exactly. Uh, now you, you mentioned the wedding. Congratulations on yes. that. Is is the wife a big fan of of the bourbons and whiskeys or or not? Um, no, she is, uh, she's definitely, it's not, it's not her taste. You know, she, mm-hmm. we've, we've tried her out on uh, a few different whiskeys and bourbons in the collection and she hasn't really found one, at least here that she, uh, that she likes very much. I've, I've tried some rye, some whiskey, some bourbon, sweet weed. I've, I've tried a little bit of everything. Uh, Garrison Bros, Honeydew, it's just, it's just not really her taste, you know? So, uh, but she, she accepts me for Ryan. So that's what matters. Hey, that, that, that's a that's that, that is a great thing, and I always do this, you know, at weddings or when someone gets married, um, you know, unsolicited advice. Happy wife, happy life. Um, it's worked well for me for eight years. So happy wife, happy life, and you, you'll be great. Yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to. Do. You got to keep her happy, and you know, mostly because you don't want any turmoil in the house, but also yeah, I have to make sure she allows me to continue buying bottles. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now the, the Hunter side of this, I, I, I think I was reading something the other day that you did. You basically found out like a buddy hit you up that someone, one of the liquor stores that accidentally put something up and you were able to get a bottle and like the, the, the two or three minutes it was up before they realized they'd, they'd screwed up. Yeah, yeah. I uh, what state? What state are you in? I'm in Kentucky. Kentucky. Okay, so you're different. So we, so in Virginia, everything is you know uh, state governed, all the liquor, and so we have a we have an ABC, um, and our ABC is notorious for screwing things up just all, all <laughs> the time, just just frequently. It's it's kind of crazy. And so, yeah, I um, I the past couple of weeks, um, I haven't really been on a uh I, on a haven't had a huge hunt nicked uh 
haven't won in a hunt very much because my main two I wanted were the uh, EHT Barrel Proof and the Smoke Wagon Desert Jewel. And ever since I got those, I've just been kind of like chilling out. So I haven't been like checking the sites like I usually do and everything. So there's not really much that I like, absolutely want. And uh, so, yeah, I, I wasn't checking the sites. And on, you know, Saturday, Saturday morning, he uh, texted me and he was like, hey, man, you need to go to the site right now. They got the Mictors Toasted Barrel Strength Rye. You know, I ordered online, just just try to order online. So he sent me the link and I went to go order it. And I just kind of assumed that they weren't going to honor it because it's happened to me before where especially when it, the, the inventory only said one. And so usually when that happens, like I, I had, I bought a couple of uh, Elijah Craig toasted barrels for some friends a couple, a couple of months ago. And the, you know, the inventory said like one or two. And when I went to go pick them up, uh, they said, oh, sorry, a bunch of people bought it at the same time you did we don't have any we don't have any more bottles left so i kind of just figured that's what that was going to happen with, with this one but i said you know what screw it let's just give it a try and so uh yep bought it online and then i went to the store to go pick it up and they said sorry we don't we don't have that bottle we're, we're all sold out and i was like oh all right whatever but then about 45 minutes later they emailed me saying your bottle's ready to pick up and i called them and i was like hey i was just in there like less than an hour ago y'all told me it wasn't and they're like oh well you know, it was just pending because there was some confusion, but yeah, it's ready to pick up. Come whenever you want to. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, all right. And that, it, it sometimes works out. Now, you, you mentioned you've kind of looked at, at, at bourbons and, and things like that. What's the best one that you've been able to find that you, you know, that took you maybe the longest or you're just the most excited about to find? Um, I would say... Um, the, the the top on my list right now is a smoke wagon desert jewel. I uh, I had a I had a friend send me a sample. Um, he asked me, well, he said he was going to send me a sample of the old Fitz nine, and with it, he was like, "Hey, I'm going to send you a sample of this desert jewel also." And at the time, this is probably maybe two and a half months ago. I had heard about the desert jewel, but you know, I hadn't had I had only had maybe the uncut at the time, and I kept hearing it kind of about the the desert jewel and the private barrels, but I just didn't like, I, it is, it, it wasn't really on my radar at all. And, you know, I poured a sample of it and I just, I honestly just fell in love. I, it, I, it was just something different. And so I, it took me a while to chase that one, but that, that, I, that one, I just got what about a week, week and a half ago. And th- that, that was my most, that's my most excited thing I have in my bar right now. I mean, is it difficult to, to, to find some of these, I know, you know, Virginia, Kentucky or, or wherever anyone's at, you know, laws are different. Allocations are different. You know, I am spoiled living in Kentucky. I am well aware, aware, aware of that. Um, but I mean, how, how difficult is it for you to find some of these in Virginia? Well, um, there, there are certain things like the, like the desert jewel, I traded a friend out of town. So, um, so there, there are certain things that are super hard to find. There are other things that are just com- complete lottery items, like the EHT Barrel Proof, uh, Elijah Craig 18, EHT Single Barrel, Weller Full Proofs, pretty much all the Wellers except for the OWA. Those are all lottery. And so you have to go online, enter a lottery, and just kind of hope you get picked. Um, but they have a lot of stuff that is a lottery that, you know, I wouldn't say is the easiest to find, but at the same time, when you do find it with our state being state controlled, you get it at a fair price, you know? So for instance, like let's say Elmer T. Lee came into town this summer 
and I was able to snag three at $40 a piece. Whereas you go to, let's say Kentucky, I'm sure that you probably can find one for like $250, $300. I would assume something like that. So um, yeah, so I would say that, I, you know, there was a time where I was complaining about our system in the ABC and how everything was allocated because only certain stores get this. And you, it's, sometimes it's a little bit of a struggle to get what you want. Um, but when I look back at some of the bottles I've gotten, at least in the past four to six months, I really can't complain very much because I was able to get the bottles that I wanted and I was able to get them at a super fair price that, that not many people in other states see. I was going to say there, there are benefits to that and you're not always paying that lovely, uh, markup, uh, for, yeah. you know, uh, you know, a hard to find bottle, so, so to speak. Um, you mentioned the the trading and things like that. I think one thing I really love about whether it's the the bourbon whiskey community or even like the craft beer community, so many people are willing to do some of those trades to get different things, try different things. What's that been like for you? Because you mentioned you were able to trade some some stuff for for the bottle you really wanted of the of the smoke wagon. What what have you seen with that? Yeah, I mean, there's like a you know, well, I'll preface this with saying on the uh, the beer side, I completely hate beer. So I, I'm not experiencing <laughs> that whatsoever. So I'll stick to the, the bourbon. Um, but there's, you know, I, I'm, but I'm, I'm sure it's the same. There's always going to be people that are um, opportunists. So there's going to be people that, you know, they find a bottle that they know that people really, really want. And they'll try to, they'll try to, you know, either try to, sell it for a completely outrageous price. So they want kind of half of your, half of your collection just for the one, for the one bottle. Uh, and there are other people that are just fair traders. And so, you know, to me, I'll always say, you know, of course there's like a secondary market where there's outrageous pricing. And, you know, I always like to, you know, I've, I've done, I'd say probably about five to 10 trades and, you know, the best ones are always the ones where we both are happy. So, you know, at the end of the day, I've, I don't care about the secondary cost on, you know, a bottle that I really want. If I have a bottle or maybe two bottles that you want and you have one or two bottles that I want and we both think that that's an acceptable, you know, trade or like, you know, something whereas, you know, that bottle is hard to get where I'm at and I can't find anywhere and you have the same as you have another bottle that's hard to get where you're at or I have it for you or vice versa. Um, that That's fair to me. So, I've definitely encountered some people that are, you know, a little sleazy and a little opportunist, but I mean, overall, like the, the bourbon community is like, to me has been, especially since I've, since I've joined the whole Instagram train, it's been super, super lovely. And it's like, they're super helpful. I mean, half, I'd say more than half the people that I've become like, you know, Instagram friends with are people that have reached out to me or like I'll comment on their on their picture just kind of saying oh man like i've heard about this it's just like i heard this is really good and some people will jump into my inbox and say hey man do you want a sample like you know like here's a sample if you like it let's maybe, maybe we can work out a trade or something like that so yeah overall it's been a pretty good experience hey and that's what i, I love is you you do find the good people you know the good people yeah. do rise to the the top and always you got to be careful with it with it all but there are there are some good people and before i, I kind of let you go one thing that i, I have enjoyed with with your Instagram account. And I think you've even kind of started this. If I had a better bar top or, you know, countertop, I'd try this, your VA bourbon slide. How did that yeah. start? Uh, so it, it kind of started, I, I guess, maybe a month after I started my Instagram. I, uh, you know, my 
my whole thing is I just like to be a little bit different than everybody else. I, I try to not, I try not to kind of blend in. And um, yeah, I was just talking to my wife now, my fiance at the time. And I was just like, babe, I need something that sets me apart from like, you know, the rest of, you know, the bourbon Instagram. She said, what do you mean? I was like, you know, I, I don't want to just, you know, post pictures of like bottles, you know, like I want to just do something that's just like a little bit different. I don't really know exactly what, but like, you know, I just want to brainstorm. And I say, you know, she's also like in marketing, so she's really good at this stuff. So like, I'd say maybe a five or 10 minutes later, she was like, what about like slide into the weekend? And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, well, we have this little island here. Maybe we can just, you know, slide a bottle across and pour it and, you know, that'll be it. And you know, we'll slide into the weekend. I was like, oh man, like we can do that. Maybe, maybe it'll work better in slow mo. Um, and that, that's that's really it. You know, that's something that I just started, and I didn't even think that it was going to be like I didn't mean for it to be like successful or like you know people to like it. Uh, just kind of one of those things that just happened to be like a like a like a Friday ritual. It just became fun, and um, probably I'd say three to four weeks later, all of a sudden I see like people like, Oh, like I've been looking forward to this, you know, like this, this is the start of the weekend. You know? And so, so now I'm you know, probably a couple of weeks ago, I'm trying to get more people involved, get more people to slide the weekend on their page too. So, but it, it's been very fun. So uh, I was going to say, have, have you had any, uh, uh, accidents with that yet? <laughs> oh yeah. Not any crazy accidents. Um, yeah, I've definitely spilled a little bit of, a little bit of juice, but I did, go to a friend's house a couple of months ago and so it was just me and him and I have some bloopers that I, I think I'm actually going to 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 put uh next week but it was just two guys trying to slide into the weekend it, it didn't work out as well as when, when my wife was there so <laughs> I, I'll just say that <laughs> and see see she she knew what she was doing she's the expert um, um I, I love it D where can people find you and also if you haven't you do need to check him out at VA Bourbon Hunter but he does Thirsty Thursday where he talks to people, all sorts of fun stuff. But where can they, they find you? Yeah, you know, uh, find me on Instagram. Like you said, it's just at VA Bourbon Hunter. Uh, just like John said, uh, every Thursday, usually around eight, uh, sometimes nine o'clock. I do an IG live with, you know, different hosts. And we have different topics. And on Fridays, we slide into the weekend. D, I appreciate you, you know, sliding into this podcast for a little bit and joining us for Whiskey Weeks to talk about bourbon hunting. Uh, bourbons and just a lot of fun stuff. And once again, I appreciate you having me, man. Anytime you want me back, I'll definitely be an, uh, be a guest again. And I hope you have a rest up. Oh, sorry, hope you have a good rest of the day. Good night. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks. Uh, I had a blast talking with D, better known as the VA Bourbon Hunter. You can find him on Instagram. Uh, and hopefully you will start sliding into the weekend as well. And before we get to Ryan and Middle West Spirits, don't forget to check out our friends at One Sip Beer Review. You can find them on Instagram at One Sip Beer Review. They do uh, some really cool videos, beer reviews, giveaways, a whole lot more. Like I said, check them out at One Sip Beer Review. And joining us now is Ryan Lang, the co-founder and head distiller of Middle West Spirits in Columbus, Ohio. Ryan, thanks for taking some time to talk spirits with us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jonathan, for having me. Appreciate it. Now, you guys... Um, started back in 07 technically you kind of founded the business in 08 and then you officially opened the doors in 2010 am i correct on that nice little timeline yeah that's exactly <laughs> what we did yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's exactly what our timeline was and then I, I believe when we talked earlier you said there were only 56 licensed distilleries in the country back then i think times have changed a little 
Uh, they've changed quite a bit. Yeah, we were. It was in the fifties. Uh, I think uh, Smooth Ambler was right before us on the license trail. I think they're one five zero one four, if I'm not mistaken, and we're one five zero one five. And now I don't know where it is. <laughs> there are so many licenses out there; it's unbelievable. And then, but I mean, what made you guys decide on you know kind of opening up something like that? Because I'm I'm thinking Ohio wasn't exactly known for having distilleries back then. Um, uh, back then, not really. As far as, uh, you know, in 07, 08, really the craft world was primarily West Coast. Um, uh, my business partner, uh, Brady, he uh, comes from the West Coast and, and usually things in the craft market uh, originate there, coffee, uh, beer, uh, and then spirits were starting to take off out there prior to him moving here. Um, when we, we met in 2007 uh, here in, in Columbus, you know, I had already been working on something in this field as far as working on a business plan for it. Uh, there's a little bit of heritage for my family in it, and uh, we decided to give it a go. Um, there weren't really any in our state at the time. I think there was one small uh, group starting that was a winery that had a little bit uh, of distilling going on. And uh, it's blossomed here as well now. I, I think we're in the uh, 50 to 60 uh, distillery range in just Ohio. And, and you mentioned your, your business partner, Brady uh, Kanya. Um, mm-hmm. You guys have a unique story in how you all met and launched. Both your spouses and, and you all kind of moved to the Columbus area. And your spouses worked together and you were always, I guess, the plus ones, so to speak. And then I guess you guys learned that you both had a love for bourbon and spirits mm-hmm. and it just evolved from there. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Uh, we were always uh, the... Um, the people left out at the party when our spouses were talking about things related to a category we did not care about, which was uh, both our spouses worked at Abercrombie & Fitch in their corporate office. So going to the uh, dinners and things like that, yeah, definitely not something we were interested in. I'm an engineer, <laughs> so it was not something I was really akin to talking to. And um, yeah, we found out that we had a lot of similarities in entrepreneurship and you know, we, we uh, gave it a go. So. 13 years ago now. I was going to say, it seems like it worked out and it was a good business plan. Uh, yeah, I think our first business plan was 50-something pages. The banks didn't know what to think of us. It was a complete disaster. So, <laughs> Well, it's worked out now. Um, you mentioned you, you kind of come from a family that's got a little bit of heritage, lineage in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, some of that may not have been legal, per se. <laughs> Others were, uh, but you are legal. So t- tell me a little bit about that family history. Yeah. Uh, my family uh, is a group of immigrants, uh, some from Ireland uh, by way of Scotland, Northern Highlands, and then some from Northern Italy near Milan, uh, emigrated some before the Civil War, uh, and then one side of the family, and then on my uh, mother's side of the family in the early 1900s. Uh, that family that came from Northern Italy, uh, it was just a way of life. Uh, Europe's rules were a lot different than the United States' rules. But yeah, it was definitely something that they brought with them. Uh, whenever I told my grandfather, who taught me what I know, what I originally had known uh, about the category uh, as far as what to do, uh, I'll say, leave it at that. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he told me where his old equipment was too. So uh, I was able to fish that out of some dark hole in the world. And, uh, and we actually ended up turning it over to Vendome when we were creating our, our continuous still. And they ended up recreating it for our uh, spirit safe. So a uh, very cool uh, roundabout way to bring some of the heritage uh, into the legal realm, I guess, at least. 
And then, I, you know, I read, and you kind of touched on it, in, in, there, did you really have to dig up your first distilling equipment from the family farm? Am I correct on that? <laughs> this thing was buried uh, in a lot of stuff. Uh, I, when I asked about it and I wanted to, to fix it and, and just see what it was, it was more we, – we had already gone down the path of, of ordering our first still from Germany. We were already moving forward. But you know, I, I was surprised that we had anything still. There's a huge curiosity around it and um, – yeah, he uh, told me literally the mark exactly where it was. He knew where it was after all these years. And I went and I fished it out and it was black. I mean, <laughs> it was disgusting. So it took me a, a good week just to get it cleaned up. But uh, yeah, I physically dug it out of the ground. So I, I love that story. And I mean, you guys, that is a true history of, um, I think it's kind of neat to see you, you know, continuing on, um, legal or not, uh, but continuing on something that your family's done for generations. Yeah. And it's, uh, been passed on to me from my grandfather. He was taught by his, uh, his father. And, and then I don't know how far back it goes over in Europe, but I'm sure it's a considerable ways. Uh, we're, uh, my family's background is all in agriculture. So farmers, um, and masons and things like that. So it was just a way of life. And, uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool heritage. I was really proud to bring it forward. And that's actually, we named the bourbon, um, after him, my, my grandfather, the Michaelone reserve. That was his last name, Ronald Michaelone. I love that history. And I, I really enjoyed the, the Michaelone, uh, bourbon that you all, all, I was able to try. It was really a nice, just straightforward bourbon. And it really brings in some very unique flavors. Now, did you ever think that you'd be using your engineering degree to be making things like that and, and working in the bourbon, whiskey, spirits industry? I mean, was that anything you ever thought of? Um, I was a, a process engineer uh, for a company for about a decade. Um, and did I feel it was going to translate into making whiskey? <laughs> no. <laughs> when I first started, I had no idea where I was going to end up, but I, I knew I was a uh, I was in the, it was the right path for me. I enjoy being in manufacturing plants. It, it, it's second nature for me. I've, I've been in the plant environment since I was 17. I, I grew up in them and, uh, it was just a natural fit. So, um, you know, taking process engineering and building it into the distilling world, distilling is, is that process. When we got into not the nuts and bolts of building a plant, but into the nuts and bolts of brewing beer, because that's where everything starts. That was a whole new world for me. So uh, that took a lot of trial and error, significant amount of failure. <laughs> and we're still trying to tweak stuff every month. So it's been fun. I was going to say, I mean, did you ever see yourself running a distillery and being a head distiller? Uh, no, uh, not, not 15 years ago, not 20 years ago, but I'll tell you what, 13 years ago when we decided to do it, I, I was like, yeah, I better jump in with both feet. And, and when we did, we, fortunately, there were some very kind people in Kentucky and very kind people in Chicago and in Europe that were willing to listen to me blabbering on about my, my vision, uh, for what I wanted to do and become and not hurt anybody <laughs> with what I was going to feed them. And they, they helped me. So I was very fortunate. I, I was going to say, and, and reading on, on what you guys do, you kind of talked about, you know, being in Ohio and, and playing to those roots. You guys do a lot of sourcing locally too, or at least maybe not always in Ohio, but the Ohio Valley for your corn, your wheat, your barrels. I'm guessing that was something very important to you all to kind of keep it close to where you're, you know, you're making it. 
Yeah, agriculturally, I mean, that, that was the backbone of the company. The terroir of, of, of our soil is important to, uh, to our distillery. It always was. It was kind of the backbone of how we set up our supply chain initially. I remember to this day going to the first farm in Southern Ohio and picking up our wheat directly from them in the back of my old truck and bringing it in and messing up royally, trying to figure out how to distill it. But then over time, um, understanding the differences, even in our own climate, Ohio is broken down into four really distinct climates from, it it gets flat really quick when you get to Columbus, uh, out from Pittsburgh, where it's, you know, you're in the Appalachian mountain trail and the way that the soil treated the grain from all of the raw materials we were buying, it was significant in, in the finished product. Not only did the yeast obviously change our whiskey, but the grain and where we bought it, who we bought it from, how they were treating it, uh, was all a condition of what our finished good was. Uh, with the exception of malts, um, all of our raw material is now being brought in from, from our region, our, our, our area of Ohio or the Ohio River Valley, um, as well as our oak. As you were mentioning, we get our oak from southern Ohio. Um, and then uh, our bottles and glass as well, um, our labels. We're, we're getting just about everything we can from Ohio. So it's it was a very important backbone or foundation of the company was to do that and we've been able to accomplish and it's been fun uh, because I'll tell you I can tell you we can tell you off the still when a, when something has happened in our raw material supply chain it's happened to us before where a, a source that we're working with had to go out and you know he didn't have enough for us so he went out and he picked up some raw material from another farmer and we could tell right away so uh, it, it really is an important part of, uh, of Middle West it's been fun. I was going to say, I mean, literally from grains to glass, you guys are, are from uh, the region. And then you, you guys are also like uh, non-GMO. You, you went that route too. Mm-hmm. To, you know, I'm guessing to ensure that the best possible end products, to make sure nothing crazy is in there. You got it. Yeah, that's it's a pretty simple philosophy. Um, harder to do in practice. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, GMO corn, you know, there are a lot of say, naysayers for it. There are a lot of people that uh, are okay with it. I am neither here nor there on that. I just wanted to make sure that we went back to some more of the heirloom varieties that were grown uh, prior to that whole product entering our market segment. Um, and we've used GMOs. We, we do for some uh, people that we work with, uh, but, but for our Michelin and for some of the other products, we use a non-GMO open pollinated yellow corn. Uh, fortunately, Ohio has a pretty significant uh, growth of non-GMO corn, believe it or not. So it wasn't difficult to, to acquire it. It was difficult to manage it. So keeping that separate from the other materials became some of the larger challenges um, but yeah, so our corn is non-GMO for our products, our wheat, our uh, rye, and then obviously the the barley malt is as well. So yeah, we're fully non-GMO. And then, you know, you, you mentioned there for, for a while you, you had some fun uh, learning from, from mistakes as you made recipes and, and different things. But you guys were recently, uh, I guess I can still call it recently, you were honored with the inaugural Innovation Award for Whiskey at the 2019 American Craft Spirits Award uh, for your OYO Sherry Finished Bourbon. How cool was it to earn that honor? And you've gotten other honors, but I mean, that has to show that you guys have grown uh, pretty far and that you're doing a, a pretty good job. Yeah, it was uh, it was a huge honor. It was humbling. Um, you know, we 
you always try to do the best you can. You, you, you always want to improve. I think everybody wants to do that, especially on whiskey. And the challenge with whiskey improvement is you, you have to wait. <laughs> so you create something and you cross your fingers and you, you know it's right. And if you start with the right base materials, you know you can do something. But to be awarded with that um, in its first year was very cool. That, that product, we were, we were working on it for a very long time. Um, and, and what it was was a, an, an indicator for me personally. It was a marker. It said, yeah, the stuff – the work that we put in a decade ago, right? The work that we continue to put into, you know, making good whiskey, um, it, it's on the right path, and it's 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 going to help us get to where we want to be, you know, twenty years down the road. And it's it's a good indicator. And yeah, it was very it was very humbling. You all do a lot of different uh, spirits. There, one that I really enjoy is the OYO vodka. I was able to try the uh, barrel finished honey vanilla bean vodka, and it was delicious. Um, really unique play, flavor profiles there. I'm guessing the the wheats and things you use give it that uniqueness, and it's really cool to see that. Uh, yeah, yeah. The wheat, the the soft red winter wheat, um, is um, very unique to our region. Um, it does give us a a very unique flavoring profile for our whiskeys, um, and it's something that we had worked on. Um, for several years with uh, Ohio State University, they have an ag extension in Worcester. And uh, the gentleman that worked with us there, he taught us a lot about this. His name was Ed Souza. Uh, he um, showed us uh, a lot about this terroir uh, and, and what it brought to our product. And it created a unique flavor. Most of the times you work with wheat, what do you normally get with wheat and beer? You get banana, or you get banana right? You get a banana, banana tone to things. Um, and we did do that when we, we initially started sourcing, when we were sourcing it from, we had to deal with that in a lot of the products that we were creating. Um, what ended up happening uh, was we found something that was very specific to what we were trying to create, which was a vanilla tone to the wheat, more of a softer tone to the wheat. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, that guy helped us out quite a bit. And we learned when we distilled it down what it became. And then that became a backbone of a lot of our materials. So uh, our wheat whiskey, our YO, our Michelin Reserve, and our Pumpernickel Rye all have a little bit of that in it. That, that, that's amazing to, to see what you guys are able to do with, with different things and what you've learned along the way. Um, now, you know, obviously, you know, most people think spirits, they think bourbon, but you guys do the vodka, you do the Vim and, and Petal Gin. Why did you guys do those two, you know, before we get into talking about the whiskeys? Um, I, I think our story when it comes to clear spirits will probably be very similar to most cash strapped <laughs> startup <laughs> ventures in this category. Uh, but as they say, and it's an old adage, vodka kept the lights on to allow you to build up what you needed to do on the whiskey side. And it's true. We did the same thing. But we we also, when we started, we looked at the vodkas that were, I remember distinctly going into um, the retail stores in Ohio and looking at the vodka shelf and it was saturated exceptionally saturated. Um, there are 90 plus brands on the shelf, four high, big bottles, small bottles, you know, and how do you compete with that? How do you stand out in that category? So we worked uh, hard with that software winter wheat to create a product that was more, you know, it hit the regulations for the TTB, but was had a little bit of that vanilla tone still in it. And that became the backbone of the company. And we proliferated that Ohio product into uh, this, the honey vanilla bean vodka uh, and the stone fruit, uh, and then we did um, also we did uh, uh, bourbon barrel aged honey vanilla bean vodka, and then that led into the Vim and Petal as well. Um, so it was uh, 
it was definitely something we had planned. Uh, and what it did, just like anybody else you'll talk to, it gave us time. It gave us time to lay up whiskey. And as we could afford to lay up the whiskey stock, we laid up as much as we could. So it, it's been fun. It's been great. It, it, it's, uh, we don't love it any less than our whiskeys. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but we were always working towards getting towards the whiskeys. It just takes time and, and unfortunately a lot of money. I, I was going to say, yeah, you got to kind of let that, that whiskey age uh, just a, a few years. Uh, so, so to speak, um, a few. uh, but uh, you know, to me, uh, the vodka, the gin whiskeys, it's a well-rounded family, a little bit of something for everyone. So, yeah, um, absolutely. And then, you know, middle West is now the name of your whiskeys, um, you, you all have a bourbon, um, the, the Michael Owen Reserve that you, you talked about that's you know, named uh, for your heritage, the straight wheat whiskey, the dark pumpernickel rye, a white rye. What can folks expect with those that may not have been able to ever try a Middle West whiskey? Um, I, I think uh, with our, our base products outside of the double cast, what you can expect is um, I wouldn't <sighs> – it's a commercially valuable product. <laughs> it's uh, it's something that I hope you will love to drink. Uh, but it's a little unique in that our Michael and Reserve, which is our bourbon, is a four grain weeded bourbon. So while it is a, a wheat forward uh, bourbon, as you you know many of them in the market, we've also added a little bit of the rye that we work with, the pumpernickel rye, in fact, uh, which adds a little bit of a, a spicier character to it. So it's sweet and spicy. Uh, the pumpernickel rye is it's a rye whiskey. You're going to know right away. But because of the procedures that we use in mashing, um, it opens the grain up a little bit more. Um, we we will go to a boil. And what ends up happening is you get a little bit of a, a more rounded sweetness to the to the rye. So it's not just sharp, spicy rye. It's got a big meaty center uh, with sweetness on top of the uh, on top of the spice. Then the wheat whiskey is akin to what I would I would compare to like a red breast. So it's uh, it's not a single grain. Uh, it's it's ninety five percent the soft red wheat we've been talking about, uh, and then we add in five percent malted barley. But it's a it's a sipper. Um, it's it's very nice. It's aged up very well, and and all of them are just continuing to get older and older and older. Our long term goal is to get the profile and age up near ten years on all of these. And then I was going to say you even have a couple of double cast collection. Um, you know, obviously the the sherry finish that that you won the award for, and then uh, um, a wheat whiskey. Um, what what are those like, and and why did you kind of go that that route on 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 those two? Um, I, I have uh, always loved what Scotland has done with their double casking program. Looking at Iman as sherry, um, looking at how they do side by side aging and maturation, and then blending. I, I thought it all it was always fascinating. I've spent a good amount of time over there and found a good amount of purveyors that have vaults uh, where you, you get these bottles that are white label. And the bottle, when you pour the whiskey out, it's not brown, it's yellow. So you start getting into the techniques that were used um, over there, uh, which is pretty commonplace. It's been used for centuries. And taking that and applying it to whiskey, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. We we started with a tremendous amount of, of oak. We, we played around with a ton of different stuff that had different types of uh, fill materials. And we always knew we wanted to get into a double cast collection. Like my inspiration for it initially was Balvenie uh, and Bowmore. I just absolutely love what they've done with their whiskeys. And, and why would you not want to emulate them? They're wonderful companies. So we were able to partner with initially an Ohio company for, for some sherry and some Oloroso casks that we were able to start playing with. 
So we took the bourbon and we took the the wheat whiskey and we um, started playing with different profiles and seeing what would come out of them. And then we, we played with time too. Uh, a lot of your double cask projects are not aged very long, uh, three months, six months, maybe a little bit more, but usually those products are um, then removed from the barrel and they go out to packaging. We left it go. We just let's see what happens. We just let it sit and let it sit and let it sit. And we started approaching two, two and a half years in some of our double cask. And we thought for sure it was going to ruin the whiskey. And in some cases it did, uh, depending on what we used, it created an unbelievably tannic or unbelievably dry products that you wouldn't want to put in a bottle. But uh, as a backbone of education around innovation, we really, really learned a lot and we just took copious notes and paid attention and we drank quite a bit and we we found out what we like and what we didn't like and and we actually have a new entrant to that coming this holiday season which i i can't Ooh. tell you too much about but but there will be uh, a big change this holiday season with our double casking program so i'm i'm anxious to put some information out on that we're not ready to do it yet hopefully it'll be around holiday but there will be a third product that will fall into that category that was has been years in the making so um yeah that program is a ton of fun uh and uh it it just it fit in the wheelhouse of what we were inspired by so we're just going to keep doing it Uh, i always love a good tease i always love a good tease (laughs) uh give them something to to keep an eye out for for sure Um, obviously you guys are in columbus in ohio uh, short North, um, you know, you guys have the distillery, you even opened up a restaurant, uh, recently when things are, you know, more normal, so to speak. Um, what, what made you guys, you know, kind of switching gears here, you know, pick that the locations you're in and then eventually add the, the service bar, expand the building and, you know, even have a, a nice big bottle shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, Columbus is, uh, you know, in general, why we, we decided to you know, set up shop where we are is, is the city itself um, and the people that we work with on a daily basis. Um, they're the reason we're here. Um, we try to thank as many people as we can with however what methods we can. But, um, you know, we set up shop in the short north. And at the time when we moved in, it was a pretty scary area where we moved in. It's developed a lot over the last 13 years now. But, um, you know, we moved in and we wanted to try and get back to the community as much as we could afford or do. And we've been working on that because they gave us the opportunity to actually be here. One of the stories um, goes, it's pretty, pretty cool, but we were one of the first SBA-backed distilleries in North America. Uh, wow. we, we did this during an exceptionally terrible time for lending, if you recall. You, you couldn't get a dollar for a hot dog machine back in 2007, 2008. Uh, but we were out trying. That business plan I talked about earlier, we were – man, we worked the circuit. We hit 22, 25 banks. Brady and I are not independently wealthy. It was just two guys with a dream. And we, we got a couple banks to bite. Um, three of them did, as a matter of fact. And uh, – it came down to an SBA option and SBA is much easier to work with today. Back then it was, it was chaos, obviously during the recession. And, um, it came down to eventually one bank going to the SBA, they denied it. And then the SBA came back again and denied another request. The bank that pushed through finally said, you got to give us something more. We went out with a picture of our bottle of vodka or Wyo bottle. And we went to all the restaurants in the area that we were setting up shop. I kid you not. And we had them sign a petition. Uh, and Liz Lesner, uh, who, who owned a, a significant amount of the um, 
restaurants here in, in town. She she's one of our biggest backers and signed this without question. She, I said, if we make this, would you support us? Would you buy it and put it in your restaurants? Can we work with you? And we took that literal signature page back to the SBA and they gave us our note for the build, building of our product. So the reason we set up and we stay where we are is because that's the type of community we live in. Uh, it's a community built out of entrepreneurship. And, and I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of that. It's not just ours. The city harbors that. So we're really proud to be here. And yeah, it's been great. Oh, that is an amazing story mm-hmm. and just goes to show, you know, that neighborhood feeling uh, really makes a difference. And Ryan, before I let you go, I always like to ask this question for you and for Middle West. What's what's next for you all? Oh, boy. Um, more whiskey, more whiskey, more whiskey. <laughs> uh, how much can we lay up right now? Um, <laughs> no, uh, honestly, it's, um, you know, hopefully getting back to some level of normalcy, uh, you know, post-COVID. Uh, we're hoping and praying that we get through this fine, just like a lot of our brethren in the category. It's really difficult when on premise for most distilleries in North America, it's gone. Um, you know, uh, there's there's federal excise tax relief we have today. We're trying to push forward to get permanent for the craft distilleries. So these these things that, that hopefully we can get to the positive side of the outcome and get it in the rearview mirror. And I'd love to open the restaurant back up and see people again. Uh, it, it's very difficult. We've been doing takeout only since about the day COVID hit. We switched our model pretty quick. Uh, we do takeout on a weekly basis, but our restaurant's not open. The distillery is still working. We're, we're making a, a, a good amount of whiskey for ourselves. Uh, we keep laying that up. We keep letting it get, get older. And, you know, what's next for us is hopefully returning to some normalcy and then continuing to, uh, to drive the growth. Um, you know, our, our, our goal is that if you try our products, that you, you like them. If you don't, tell us why. And we'll keep trying to work to get better. Well, Ryan, it sounds like you guys are doing some amazing things. Uh, you've had some some major growth, won some growth, won some major awards, and uh, you guys are doing well there at uh, uh, Middle West. No, I appreciate that, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on the show, and uh, yeah, let me know if you ever want to talk again. Really enjoyed talking to Ryan Lang of Middle West Spirits in Columbus, Ohio. Like I said, they're doing some really cool things, and and I also love Ryan's. Uh, uh, family history in the industry uh, some legal some not uh, but some really cool stories there and like i said they are doing some really cool things the dark pumpernickel uh straight rye whiskey it's gotten some honors you know they've gotten some honors but that dark pumpernickel is the first one made in the usa like that um it, it, you get the pumpernickel you get some notes of vanilla caramel and cinnamon that's a really unique whiskey and their wheat whiskey also brings in a whole different set of flavors um, you know, I, I got some notes of fruitiness and spices, and it was really, really enjoyable. Um, and, you know, the, from their cask program to their, their vodkas, gin, and then doing these unique uh, flavor combinations with their whiskeys, you need to check them out. Um, they're based out of Columbus, Ohio. So if you're ever in that area, uh, stop by and see them. And remember, you, can, uh, you can't stop by and see us, but you can listen to us on uh, pretty much where podcasts are available. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Hopspirits, all one word. And while you're there, look up our Bar Conversations podcast. We just dropped a new episode with country chart-topping artist Dustin Collins. We've also got past steps with Everett, uh, author Wesley Brown, and uh, musician, singer-songwriter Justin Wells. You can get information on our social media about that. Until next time, cheers, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>